I'd like to read just to kind of lay out the gates. Consider it as if you're going around on a tour around Jerusalem, because the gates, making up the gaps in the wall that surrounded Jerusalem to keep it safe. As Mike has mentioned, Zerubbabel, Ezra, Haggai, and Zechariah, they were completely taken up with the building or rebuilding of the house of God for the worship of God by the people. We're going to be taking up with the wall that goes around Jerusalem. I'll just give you one verse before we read from Nehemiah chapter 3, and that's from the prophet Ezekiel, where it says, So God looked for a man who would make a wall and stand in the gap. And so we're going to be looking in these gaps, and each gap along the way, represented by a gate, is the place that we are praying that the Lord will stir your heart to say, have I walked through that gate? We're going to be looking at 12 gates during our studies together, not from a historical perspective, but from a practical application so that we can say, each gate represents a decision in my life. They're the gates of my life. And so we look around the perimeter and we see that it forms a panorama of the plan of God for you and for me. So now you're in Nehemiah. Let me just read first of all in Nehemiah chapter 2 verses 17 and 18 and then we'll be in Nehemiah chapter 3 the rest of the time. Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 17 reading in the New King James translation says, Then I said to them, and this is Nehemiah speaking, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, Let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. Now Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1. If you're making notes, this is where you really want to start concerning the gates around Jerusalem. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1 says, Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priest, and built the sheep gate. The sheep gate is the very first gate that we're going to look at starting today. And they consecrated it and hung its doors. They built as far as the Tower of the Hundred and consecrated it, then as far as the Tower of Hananil. Look in verse 3 also. Verse 3 says, also the sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. Fish gate is gate number 2. We'll also look at that with the Lord's help schedule-wise today. They built the fish gate, and they laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. Look now in verse 6. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 6 says, Moreover, Jehoiada, the son of Paseah and Meshulam, the son of Bosadea, repaired the old gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. Look all the way down now to verse 13, Nehemiah 3:13. You have the sheep gate, the fish gate, the old gate, and verse 13 gives us when it says, Hanun and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gate. That's number four, the valley gate. They built it, hung its doors with its bolts and bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as 
the refuse gate, which is mentioned again now in verse 14, and that's going to be gate number five. It says, Malchijah, the son of Rechab, leader of the district of Beth Hasserim, repaired the refuse gate. And that's number five. It may be the dung gate, depending on your translation. And it says, he built it and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. Verse 15 gives us the next gate. And it says, Shalom, the son of Kolhosi, leader of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. And we're going to be spending time at the fountain gate and see how he built it, covered it, hung its doors with its bolts and bars, and repaired the wall of the pool of Shelah by the king's garden as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. Now all the way over to verse 26. Verse 26, we see, Moreover, the Nethanim, who dwelt in Ophel, made repairs as far as the place in front of the water gate. And you've heard of the water gate. This is not the water gate in Washington. This is the different water gate. This is the gate in Jerusalem, the water gate toward the east and on the projecting tower. Look now in verse 28. We have our next gate that's mentioned. And in verse 28, gate number 8 says... Beyond the horse gate, the priest made repairs each in front of his own house. And verse 29, immediately following the horse gate, we read in verse 29, Then after them, Zadok, the son of Imir, made repairs in front of his own house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, made repairs. And then all the way down to verse 31, almost to the end of the chapter where we read, after him, Malchijah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs as far as the house of the Nethanim and of the merchants in front of the Mithcad gate, or the gate of inspection, as far as the upper room at the corner. And you're all the way back where you started. Two other gates that are not mentioned in chapter 3 is, uh, first of all, the gate of Ephraim and then also the prison gate. Gives you 12 gates all together. And as Mike has already done his math, higher math that is, whenever it comes to the Word of God, we have six meetings together. I have an easy method. Six into 12 gives us approximately two gates each message. But we're going to kind of just go as far as we can, just as they're building along the wall. It's going to make a complete encompassing of the city of Jerusalem. And we're going to be, as the psalmist said, rejoicing as our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Shall we go to the Lord in a word of prayer and ask him to bless each of these gates to our lives as we study them for his glory? Let's pray. Our Father, how thankful we are that you have given us ways to understand your truths in our day-by-day -day lives. We pray, Father, that as we just consider one gate at a time, a place that we are faced with a decision to step into to determine the direction of our life and to make a difference in the things that we have learned and put to practice that we might not just be hearers of your word, but that we might also be doers of your word. And we pray, Father, that this would be the effect and impact that your spirit would have in each of our lives, we pray in the name of our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I love the gates of Jerusalem, and I trust that you're going to love these gates as well, because each gate 
making this perimeter around Jerusalem really does give us an overall panorama of our lives before the Lord. It works for you and it works for me. And each time we see these gates again, just to mention to you for emphasis, we want to just consider, Lord, have I taken the step through that gate or am I just standing without wondering what I should do next? Just as you come to a conference time like this, a conference has to do with conferring to make a decision and to make a commitment to no longer be the same, but to say, Lord, we're here that you can do business in our hearts and in our lives. We want to leave this place different than when we arrived. Nancy and I have already decided to leave different. We came up Highway 41. We're going out a different way. <laughs> all those mountains and all those curves, we heard there's a nice way down by the Merced River. And that's the way we're going out. We're leaving different than when we arrived. I hope you will too. Spiritually, when we look at these gates, it can't help if you've ever been over to Jerusalem and seen the wall around Jerusalem as it stands even to this day. You're amazed to stand before the gates. But we use gates in every area of our life, whether you're boarding a plane or going on a train or wherever it might be. But these gates are so important because they're put in perfect order. I'll just tell you very briefly, during a, a summer camp time with Brother Les Rainey, years and years ago at a place called Camp Hope, he shared with me, I found it in his little syllabus of the Old Testament, the mention that these gates really do teach us what life is all about from beginning to the end. From God's program as it began with salvation all the way till you not only have the Lord's coming, represented by the East Gate, even to the Mifkad Gate, the judgment seat of Christ, and all the way to the prison gate when the judgment falls on those who reject the Savior. It gives us exactly what God is doing in the world and in His program. And so these gates are very important for each one of us. We start with the most important gate this morning. While your attention is still sharp and you're still bright, you're not tired from a long week camping, you come to the sheep gate, and the sheep gate is of ultimate importance to each one. Please, even if you know you belong to the Lord, don't let this pass your attention. Because the sheep gate, I'm, just, I'm not stepping out to be dramatic. I'm following the shade. And uh, we, want every, we believe in the comfort of the saints here. All the way to the, to the, uh, the porta potties being open. Huh? Have you ever heard an announcement like that in a spiritual service, huh? Well, you've got to be scriptural about all these things. One of our Israeli uh, guides over in Israel, he quoted, he said, uh, when we stopped on the bus, the first stop, he said, now the men's restrooms are on the right and the ladies' restrooms are on the left. He said, I agree completely with Moses. Let my people go. And uh, so we believe in the comfort of the saints. We're right here together and it's a very casual situation. And you understand when you come to the sheep gate, we don't want to just pass over and say, yes, I got that one. Yes, I got that one. Yes, I got that one. But this is so important. Take the time to take it in. And before the Lord personally, ask the Lord, have I entered in by the sheep gate? The first thing it reminds you of is that we're sheep. I was talking with a good friend, Joseph Waldner, saved out of the Hutterite colony in Montana, talking with a friend of his who worked on the colony taking care of the sheep, some of the other livestock. I mean, we're talking thousands of sheep and cattle, as well as chickens. I, we asked him, we said, how many chickens did you have over there on the colony? He said, about 35,000. And he said, uh, 
He was trying to witness to one of the men who took care of the sheep. And he said, I just cannot understand why the Lord would use a sheep to represent us. And he said, what's the problem with that? He said, well, they're so dirty and they're so dumb. And he said, well, what's your point? That's exactly what we're like. The Bible says that all we like sheep have gone astray. In fact, when we were serving on the mission field, we came to greatly esteem our senior missionaries there who had served for many years. Nancy and I were in Africa for 10 years. It seems like a long time if you've never been there, but others have been there 40, 50, 60, 70 years. They've spent their whole life there, like Marion Baisley, when they made the missionaries leave the Congo, she only went as far as she needed to. She stayed in Uganda, right beside Zaire, or now the, Belgian, the Congo Democratic Republic of the Congo. She's only been home one time in all these years, some 60 years there on the field. And so these are the ones that we esteem the highest. I remember our senior missionaries, Bering and Lois McDowell. Bering just went to be with the Lord recently. And we were telling stories of of traveling from one country to another, going across the borders, going through customs and immigration. And he said he was coming back from Zaire, then at that time the Belgian Congo, and he had quite a few suitcases. And the immigration officials there at New York, Kennedy Airport, said, uh, you've got a lot of suitcases there. And Beering acknowledged it, and he said, uh, what do you do? He said, well, I'm a missionary. I serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Missionary, eh? The man said, he said, what's Isaiah 53, 6? Bering said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The immigration official smiled with a big happy smile as a brother and greeted him and said, welcome home. <laughs> he told me that story. I went and memorized Isaiah 53, 6. <laughs> you understand. I mean... It's an easy verse to memorize if you've never memorized it. It starts with all and it ends with all. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, the Lord Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. And we thank God for a message like that from Isaiah. But realize when we talk about the sheep gate, we're talking about the gate that requires a decision. I was just talking with a lifesaver when we first got here, who is, uh, he looks a lot like a cowboy, but he's actually a lifesaver. But he made a statement, I asked permission to quote him, and that was, people die because of indecision. If you've never realized that there's a decision that must be made at the gate as a sheep to acknowledge before the Lord that all we like sheep have gone astray. In other words, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you've never been faced with that decision and made that decision to say, Jesus, I will trust you, trust you with my soul, and enter into the gate that leads to life, you realize you're not saved. You're not safe eternally. You're not a child of God until you acknowledge, as a sinner, I need a Savior. Until you're lost, you can't be found. 
Until you're a sinner, you don't need the Savior. You don't need someone that will just clean up your life and reform you. You need someone that will give you life itself. We don't need a crutch. (laughs) We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But we've been made alive when we put our trust in Christ and acknowledge I was standing there at the gate of the sheep, the sheep gate, and I made a decision. I'm stepping in. It only takes one step. That's what a decision is. Only one step between you and eternity. Where will you spend eternity? A gate determines your direction. Some people are going in. (laughs) Some people are going out. You think of the widow's son at Nain. They were going out for a funeral. They were coming in with great joy. And you see, the gate represents not only a decision that needs to be made in life, but also represents a direction. Let me ask you, what direction are you going? We stopped on a trip out west to get some oil changing. It was a lot of miles from North Carolina, 3,200-something miles. Started out and stopped to get the oil change. And the man said, where are you heading? I said, well, eventually heaven. (laughs) And uh, he said, no, I mean like right now. I said, well, we're heading out to Yosemite National Park. And uh, well, what in the world are you going all the way out there for? You know, it's wonderful, isn't it? The gate represents the direction. I'm on my way to heaven. I used to be on my way to hell. I, I witnessed to a fellow, Mike Kelly. He was an electrician. We uh, found a building for the assembly in Charlotte, North Carolina, and we wanted to have a sign, wanted to have it lit so that people would see where we were located all hours of the day, at night as well. And it, it needed to have an electrician to do it Uh, according to code, to run the power out to the sign. And so uh, talk to Mike Kelly. You know, you just look up people's name in a book. You pray and you say, Lord, lead me to a man that can do the job right and give me an opportunity as a witness. I dialed Mike Kelly's name and he said, Kelly Electric. And I said, Mike, we need some electrical electrical work done here at the church where we're at. And uh, he said, oh, at a church. He said, I need to talk to you. I said, yeah, we know you need to talk to you. You need to come by there and see the work. He said, no, I need to talk to you. I said, will you come on over? I'm right here. And he came over, talked about the electrical work, tried to keep your business separate. Then spiritual service, you understand. Don't want them to think we're taking advantage of them. Keep a testimony above board. After we got the deal done, then I said, now let's talk. And he said, I'm way away from the Lord. I said, well, You know, there's an easy way back. It only takes one step, just a decision, just a direction. I witnessed to Mike. He was so close to trusting the Lord. I wanted to put a little bit of pressure. And I said, no, I know the Lord is going to work in his heart. He convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's not my job. It's his job. I got a call the next morning from Mike Kelly Electrical Company. And Mike said, Brother Rex, hey, (laughs) I knew something had happened. He said, he said, I trusted the Lord yesterday before I pulled out of the parking lot. I said, why didn't you turn around and tell me? <laughs> he came over to see me that day, the next day. And he said, he said, my life has been turned around 360 degrees. I said, now wait just a minute. <laughs> I said, you're an electrician. You're not an engineer. I said, not 360 degrees, only 180. He said, no, it's altogether different. I said, if it's 360 degrees, you're back where you started. He said, oh, he said, I see, 180 degrees. I got to ask you, when you come to the gate as a sheep and you realize it's a decision to make, have you made that decision to trust Christ as your Savior? And when you made that decision, did you realize you were entering in? It changed your direction. Before Christ, you're on your way to hell. 
Now in Christ, you're on your way to heaven. You were in darkness, now you're in light. You were in death, now you're in life. You were out, now you're in. Which is it? It can't be both. You can't be stopped in the threshold of the doorway. There at the gate, a decision had to be made. There at the gate, a direction had to be taken. And then, the difference. The gate makes all the difference in the world because he changes our lives completely. I had an opportunity to speak with a man from India, from a Hindu background. And he was over in the U.S. just for a few months to work with a computer company. And he was a genius when it comes to software and operating the computers. And we sat down and he had no understanding whatsoever of the Bible. Talking with him about sin and righteousness and judgment seemed to miss him altogether. But he had one question. He said, if I accept Christ as my Savior, my only question is this. Will it change my life? First thing that flooded up in my heart and my mind was how long does it take to change a life? How long have you been on your way to heaven? How long has it been since you entered through that gate by a decision, changed your direction to where it started making a difference in the way you lived? I said, all I can tell you this, Shri, is that it is supposed to change your life but it may take some time. He said, well, if it changes my life, I'm interested. If it doesn't change my life, it's no different than all the gods that have been recommended to me by my family and friends in India. One god after another, and all the idols that I've entertained have never changed my life. I met with him one more time after a funeral service of all things. And before I even got to go through the gospel with him again, he said, I'm ready to become a Christian. I said, now wait just a minute. You've got to make sure you understand. He said, I don't understand much, but I'm ready to become a Christian. I led him to the Lord. <laughs> I wasn't sure. Is it possible that someone with no understanding can make a decision to truly accept Christ as their Savior? I want to tell you, the Apostle Paul said, anyone that thinks he understands anything must become a fool before he can become wise. And Christ has made unto us wisdom from God, sanctification, righteousness, justification, and Sri accepted Christ to the best he knew how. If you don't understand everything, you're in good company. <laughs> because I don't think there's anyone, well, let me change that. I don't know anything. I know one thing. God has chosen a nobody to tell everybody about somebody who cares for anybody. And he's ready. He's ready to give you understanding. But if you're waiting to understand before you accept Christ as your Savior, it can't happen. You must have the Spirit of God who illumines you and enlightens you and gives you understanding about how wonderful Christ truly is. I tell you, that gate, the sheep gate, will give you good understanding. Sri, this young man from India, moved to the U.S., married, He's part of the assembly and fellowship. He's one of the most dynamic witnesses for Christ we have. And this is all new within just two years. Now, he's reasoning it out. His logic is far beyond anything I can comprehend. But he's able to speak with people about the Savior and give them good understanding, even when they can't comprehend it. 
He points out to them, you've got to receive Christ as your Savior. And he told me he's able to witness now to his brother who's saved over in India. His parents he has a burden for. And they've been following idols for generations that have never changed their lives. Only Christ can make a difference. He fulfills that which we've been searching for. And where does it start? Well, it starts at a gate. The Lord Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7 that that gate is a narrow gate. And that way is a straight way, or it's even more narrowly confined. There's only room for one person at a time. Your mom and dad can't be saved for you. You can't be saved for a good friend of yours. It's not something you do as a group effort to where everybody says, we're in, but you must come one by one because there's only one way into God's favor, and that's by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your very own. I spoke with a man, if you don't mind, one more brief story. He said, you know, I've been studying religions. And I stopped him. Uh, you know, it was an interruption, but I hope it was a divine interruption. I said, I guess you found all religions are basically the same. He said, yes, as a matter of fact, I have. I said, well, that's, uh, that's true, but that's the great difference. And I waited and he said, what great difference? And I said, all religions are greatly different than the way of salvation that the Bible describes. All religions from Adam and Eve's fig leaf religion through all the religions of this world are all based on what you can do in order to redeem yourself. And it won't work. None of it works. But what God has done through Christ has accomplished salvation. And there's only one way of salvation, and that's through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, shed to pay for your sins and mine. He said, that's pretty narrow, isn't it? You know, I always feared someone telling me that, and I didn't know what I would say. I believe the Lord gave me the answer. I said, he made one way to salvation, and only one, not to be narrow-minded, but rather so we wouldn't make a mistake. If God said there's two ways to eternal life, which way would it be? If he said there's many ways to heaven, which way would it be? It would be utter confusion and chaos. God, in order to keep it simple enough for us to understand by faith to receive Christ as our Savior, he said there's only one way. And Jesus said, and I told my friend, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, well, surely he's not the only. I said, let me tell you the rest of the verse. No one comes to the Father except by me. I got to tell you, if you're still standing outside the gate, if you're still outside of Christ, today's the day. Now's the time. You don't even have to wait till we finish this meeting. Right where you're at, in your heart, you can say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I'm a sheep going astray. I want to come to the Savior right now today. I want to enter the gate. I have decided to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm in! And it's going to make a difference in my life. He's the only one that can change or satisfy your life. If you haven't done that, now's the time. If you're waiting to understand it all, why wait? You'll understand it much better with the Spirit who comes and dwells within you and guides you into all truth. You can't understand the Bible without the Savior and without the Spirit. The natural man receives not the things of God, nor can he, 
because they're spiritually discerned. But the spiritual person, he understands. He discerns all things. If you have questions on how you can be sure that you've entered the gate and entered into faith in Christ, I know any of those who are in charge of this conference time, Brother Mike, myself, we'd be glad to sit down and just show you from the Bible how we came to know the Lord as our Savior. That's the sheep gate. It reminds us that we're all like sheep going astray. It also reminds us of our shepherd, the Savior, who laid down his life for us. You know, he's the good shepherd. A good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's the great shepherd. He cares for us so, so well. You think of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In fact, you can build prepositionally his care for you. Underneath us, the green pastures. Beside us, the still waters. Ahead of us, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because he's with us. Before us, he sets a table in the presence of our enemies. Upon us, he anoints our head with oil. All over us, my cup runneth over. Behind us, surely in goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And ahead of us, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can you find any shepherd that cares for sheep like that? There's none, not one. Let me just give you one verse that brings that all together. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25, please. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25. Because while we think of the sheep and while we ponder the shepherd, there's one verse in the New Testament that I just love so much because of how it ties the sheep to the shepherd. You'll find it in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, uh, 25. And this is what it says. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Have you done it? If not, why not? And if not, when? Now's the day. Now's the time. You can come through that gate and be saved. But you know, there's another gate. It's not only the sheep gate in verse 1 of Nehemiah chapter 3, but it's also the fish gate in verse 3 of, cha of Nehemiah chapter 3. Now, the fish gate, I may assure you, there's nothing fishy going on around here. The order of these gates is so significant, I just can't get over the thrill of it. I hope you can't either. Because once you're saved through the sheep gate, the very first thing that will be a burden on your heart is to tell others. And that's represented by the fish gate. Would you go in your Bible to the Gospel of Mark chapter 1, please? Mark's Gospel chapter 1. Because, you see, the fish gate reminds us that the Lord Jesus called men to be followers of him. And he promised that if they would follow him, that he would teach them something that we all need to be reminded of and that we all need to do. He simply said this to Simon and Andrew, to James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. Again, the order of the gates not only follows the order around Jerusalem as they were in order around the wall, 
but they follow in perfect order what you and I should experience as believers in God's panoramic plan for our life and for the ages. Is it not true, those of you who have already entered the Sheep Gate, that when you came to Christ, the first thing you wanted to do is to tell someone? Who did you tell first? Maybe family? Maybe friends? Your best friend, I hope? Maybe you were shocked when they were not interested in receiving Christ just as you had done. I told my brother. He said, I'd appreciate if you never mentioned the Lord's name to me again. Thirty years later, he's wanting to know more. You know, it's amazing, isn't it? That the things that you find most dear to your heart, like the Savior, you want to impart him to someone else. How do you do it? Well, there's a message in the way that the Lord Jesus called the disciples to follow him. Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 16. Here's what we read. As the Lord Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, we read in verse 17, Come after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. Two brothers casting a net, two brothers mending a net. Another gospel tells us in the gospel of Luke, they were washing their nets. Casting a net. <clears throat> now, we're not south of the border to a castanet. But casting a net is what you do just to catch one fish or maybe two fish in order to get some bait, in order to catch more fish. Personal evangelism represented by the fish gate, it goes one by one, one-on-one, one-on-one. -on -one, one -on -one. Never ignore the opportunities you have as a one-on-one -on -one witness. Each one win one. If each one won one each year, within about 38 years, the whole world's population would be one. If each one won one. Never underestimate the importance of winning one soul for Christ this year. How many people do you witness to? <laughs> I've fed so many fish without catching a fish, it's, it's embarrassing. But if you catch one, it's all worth it all. Casting a net, those two brothers, Simon and Andrew, trying to catch just one fish. Mending nets, speaking of a larger net, a different word altogether. And fishing with, with perseverance all night long to catch fish. Coming up empty, the Lord, teach, the Lord Jesus teaches them and teaches us how to catch many with a group effort, practicing, working together, participating, and taking it so personal. As the Apostle Paul said, to the Jews I became as a Jew, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 through 22. To those who were under the law, I became as under the law that I might win those who were under the law. To those without the law, I became as without law, but not without law toward Christ. I've become all things to all men that I by all means might save some. To win people, to be a winsome person, to win them to Christ. Solomon said, he that winneth souls is wise. Now that's true. It's the wisest thing you can do as a believer is to win someone. He that winneth souls is not only wise, but must be wise. How are you going to win them? Well, you have to win them the way the Lord Jesus teaches to win them. 
You find it in the Word everywhere. He was winsome. They wondered at the gracious words that proceeded from his mouth. And as he led them to himself and called them to himself and sent them out to others to win men and women, boys and girls, for the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you won someone to Christ? You know, we may not even know it. We plant the seed. We water the seed. God gives the increase. The one who plants and the one who waters, we're nothing. But God is all in all. He can use you and he can use me if you enter by the fish gate. Let me ask you, if you're not witnessing to someone right now and praying for their salvation, isn't it time that you take another step and make a decision to say, Lord, make me a fisher of men. Help me to catch people for Christ. We were witnessing to a lady during the genome outreach. And just by the way, if you're following your schedule, I've been given to a little bit after 11. We won't overstep the boundary. But we were witnessing to a, a lady uh, at her door. And Nancy and I talked with her and we asked her about the gospel. And she said, oh, yes, I'm a Christian. She said, my life has changed so dramatically. Well, you know, have to be careful. Which happens first? Does your life change or do you receive Christ? So we backed up to the beginning of the gospel and started talking to her about how to be saved. She said, oh, yes, I'm saved. She said, you got to catch a fish before you can clean a fish. If you're waiting for your life to change, you got to accept Christ first. Then he changes your life. Is it dirty? Come to Christ. He'll clean you up. As a fisher of men, don't go out and tell people what they need to do to clean up their life. Catch them. Get them in the boat. Nancy's brother hired a professional fisherman to learn how to fish. And he said, well, Troy, let me, let me see what you got. And he threw his line out, started pulling it in, letting it out, pulling it in, letting it out. The professional said, Troy, what in the world are you doing? He said, well, I'm playing with the fish. He said, tell you what, you get them in the boat, we'll both play with them. <laughs> catching men, catching women, that the Lord would give us wisdom to win souls. It starts at the gate called the fish gate. We were traveling. We stopped at Walmart. It's our favorite place to stop in an RV. There's an old country song that says, Give me 40 acres and I'll turn this rig around. And you can pull into a Walmart parking lot and get everything you need. We went in there and I purchased some stuff that came up to $16.84. I was in a long line. When I got in, it stopped. I have that natural gift. You do too, I bet. The lines have fallen to me into pleasant places, the psalmist said. When you get in a long line, you just take advantage of it. I looked at the cashier. I had my gospel track cocked and ready. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll witness to this young lady. And I looked at her. She looked the type. I won't describe her, but she looked the type that would not be interested. And I thought, should I or shouldn't I? I put my stuff on the counter, came to $16.84, pulled out a $20 bill and laid it on the counter. And she entered it into the register hit the button, and in green numbers, three, one, six, came on the screen. <laughs> three sixteens, your change, she said. And I said, three sixteen. I looked down the long line. I said, what does that make you think of? And lady about the third in line, she said, makes me think about John three sixteen. And the cashier said, you mean for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life? I mean, I, my palms were sweaty. I had my track and I thought she won't be interested. 
And I said, you know that verse? She said, yes, I was saved two weeks ago. My husband was saved three weeks ago. And we're praying and asking God what he wants to do with our lives. If you haven't won a soul to Christ, maybe we know it, maybe we don't know it. But if you haven't witnessed to someone, isn't it time to quit feeding the fish and start winning the fish one at a time? May the Lord stir our hearts to enter by the sheep gate if you don't know the Lord. There's only one way, only one gate. It's Christ. Come into Him. And once you come into Him, who wants to go to heaven alone? I don't want to go to heaven alone. Why not win someone and take them with you? Enter in by the fish gate. Shall we close with a word of prayer? Our blessed Father, as we bow before your presence now, we earnestly plead that your Spirit who knows our hearts, would do a work in us and meet us according to our need. O Father, save the souls that are nearest hell, we pray, either here at this conference or listening to this message. And we ask especially that they would not put it off, but come to Christ and make no delay before the day is over and the time is up, before the moment passes by and summer is ended, Harvest is past, and they're not yet saved. O Lord, we pray that those of us who are saved have entered by heaven's gate, will commit our lives to winning others for Christ, and that you would renew, renew a zeal in us to be zealous for souls, knowing that the time is passing and we're to redeem the time, for the days are evil in which we live. Use us, Lord and be glorified in us. We pray that you would honor your word as you've promised, for we pray this in the name of our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.